and welcome to my podcast. Today, we will be reading A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline Lingle. Chapter 1. Mrs. Watson. It was a dark and stormy night. In her attic bedroom, Margaret Murray, wrapped in an old patchwork quilt, sat on the foot of her bed and watched the trees tossing in the fringy lassing of the wind. Behind the trees, clouds scudded frantically across the sky. Every few moments, the moon ripped through them, creating wrath-like shadows that raced along the ground. The house shook. Wrapped in her quilt, Meg shook. She wasn't usually afraid of weather. It's not just the weather, she thought. It's the weather on top of everything else. On top of me, on top of Meg Murray doing everything wrong. School. School was all wrong. She'd been dropped down to the lowest section in her grade. That morning, one of her teachers had said crossly, Really, Meg? I don't understand how a child with parents as brilliant as yours are supposed to be, can be, such a poor student. If you don't manage to do a little better, better, you'll have to stay back next year. During lunch, she roughhoused a little to try to make herself feel better, and one of the girls said scornfully, after all, Meg, we aren't grammar school kids anymore. Why do you always act like such a baby? And on the way home from school, walking up the road with her arms full of books, one of the boys had said something about her dumb baby brother. At this, she'd thrown the books on the side of the road and tackled him with every ounce of strength she had and arrived home with her blouse torn and a big bruise under one eye. Sandy and Denny's, her 10-year-old twin brothers who got home from school an hour earlier than she did, were disgusted. Let us do the fighting when it's necessary, they told her. A delinquent, that's what I am, she thought grimly. That's what they'll be saying next. Not mother, but them. Everybody else. I wish father. But it was still not possible to think about her father without the danger of tears. Only her mother could talk about him in a natural way, saying, When your father gets back. Gets back from where? And when? Surely her mother must know people. what people were saying. Must be aware of their smugly, vicious gossip. Surely it must hurt her as it did Meg. But if it did, she gave no outward sign. Nothing ruffled the serenity of her expression. Why can't I hide it too, Meg thought. Why do I always have to show everything? The window rattled madly in the wind, and she pulled the quilt close about her, curled up on one of her pillows, a gray fluff of kitten yawned showed its pink tongue, tucked its head under again, and went back to sleep. Everybody was asleep, except for Meg. Even Charles Wallace, the dumb baby brother, who had an uncanny way of knowing when she was awake and unhappy, and who would come so many nights tiptoeing up the attic stairs to her, even Charles Wallace was asleep. How could they sleep? All day on the radio there had been hurricane warnings. How could they leave her up in the attic in the rickety brass bed, knowing that the roof might be blown off the house? And she tossed out 
into the wild night sky to land who knows where. Her shivering grew uncontrollable. You asked to have the attic bed, she told herself savagely. Mother let you have it because you're the oldest. It's a privilege, not a punishment. During the hurricane, not during a hurricane, it isn't a privilege, she said. Aloud, she tossed the quilt on the foot of the bed and stood up. The kitten stretched luxuriously and looked at her with huge, innocent eyes. Go back to sleep, Meg said. Just be glad you're a kitten and not a monster like me. She looked at herself in the wardrobe mirror and made a horrible face, bearing a mouthful of teeth covered in braces. Automatically, she pursed her glasses into position, ran her fingers through her mouse brown hair so that it stood wildly on end and let out a sigh almost as noisy as the wind. The wide wooden floorboards were cold against her feet. She, Wind blew in the crevices about the window frame. In spite of the protection the storm sash was supposed to offer, she could hear the wind howling in the chimneys. From all the way downstairs, she could hear Fortinbras, the big black dog, starting to bark. He must be frightened, too. What was he barking at? Fortinbras never barked without a reason. Suddenly, she remembered that when she had gone to the post office to pick up mail, she heard about a tramp who was supposed to have stolen 12 sheets from Mrs. Boncombe, the constable's wife. They hadn't caught him, and maybe he was heading for the Murray's house right now, isolated on a black road, as it was. And the time, maybe, he'd be more after than... He'd be after more than sheets. Meg hadn't paid much attention to talk about the tramp at the time, because the postmistress, with a sugary smile, had asked if she'd heard from her father lately. She left her little room and made her way through the shadows of the main attic, bumping against the ping-pong table. Now I'll have a bruise on my hip on top of everything else, she thought. Next, she walked into her her old doll's house, Charles Wallace rocking horse, the twins' electric chains. Why must everything happen to me, she demanded of a large teddy bear. At the foot of the attic stairs, she stood still and listened. Not a sound from Charles Wallace's room on the right. On the left, in her parents' room, not a rustle from her mother sleeping alone in the great double bed. She tiptoed down the hallway and into the twins' room, pushing pushing against at pushing again at her glasses as though they could help her see better in the dark. Denny was snoring. Sandy murmured something about baseball and subsided. The twins didn't have any problems. They weren't perfectly content. They were perfectly great students, but they weren't bad ones. They weren't great students, but they weren't bad ones either. They were perfectly content with a succession of B's and an occasional A or C's. They were strong and fast runners and good at games, and when cracks were made about anybody in the Murray family, they were made about Sandy and Denny's. She left the twins' room and went downstairs. Avoiding the creaking seventh step, 
Fort Bronis had stopped barking. It wasn't the tramp this time that Fort would go on barking if anybody was around. But suppose the tramp does come. Suppose he has a knife. Suppose nobody lives near enough to hear if we screamed and screamed and screamed. Nobody'd care anyhow. I'll make myself some cocoa, she decided. That'll cheer me up. And if the roof blows off, at least I won't go off with it. In the kitchen, a light was already on, and Charles Wallace was sitting at the table drinking milk and eating bread and jam. He looked very small and vulnerable, sitting there alone in a big old-fashioned kitchen, a blonde little boy in a faded blue Dr. Denton's, his feet swinging a good six inches above the floor. Hi, he said cheerfully. I've been waiting for you. From under the table where he was lying at Charles Wallace's feet, hoping for a crumb or two, Fort Bronis raised his slender dark head in greeting to Meg, and his tail thumped against the floor. Fort Bronis had arrived on their doorstep, a half-grown puppy scrawny and abandoned, one winter night. He was Meg's father and decided part little one sledder and part greyhound and he had a slender dark beauty that was all his own why didn't you come up to the attic meg asked her brother speaking as though he were at least her own age i've been scared stiff too windy up in the attic of yours the little boy said i knew you'd be down i put some milk on the stove for you it ought to be hot by now how did charles wallace always know about her how could he always tell? He never knew or seemed to care what Denise or Sandy were thinking. It was his mother's mind and Meg's that he probed with frightening accuracy. Was it because people were a little afraid of him that they whispered about the Murray's youngest child who was rumored to be not quite bright? I've heard that clever people often have subnormal pe- children. Meg had once overheard. The boys seemed to be nice, regular children, but the unattractive girl and the baby boy certainly aren't all there. It is true that Charles Wallace seldom spoke when anybody was around, so that many people thought he was never learned to talk. And it was true that he hadn't talked at all until he was almost four. Meg wouldn't turn white with fury when people looked at him and chucked clucked, shaking their heads sadly. Don't worry about Charles Wallace. Meg, her father, had once told her. Meg remembered it very clearly because it was short before he went away. There's nothing in the matter with his mind. He just does things in his own way and in his own time. I don't want him to grow up to be dumb like me, Meg had said. Oh, darling, you're not dumb, her father had answered. You're like Charles Wallace. Your development has to go at its own pace. It just doesn't happen to be the usual pace. How do you know, Meg had demanded. How do you know I'm not dumb? Is it just because you love me? I love you, but that's not what tells me. Mother, and I've given you a number of tests, you know. Yes, that was true. Meg had realized that some of the games her parents played with her were tests of some kind. There had been more for her and Charles Wallace than for the twins. IQ test, you mean? Yes, some of them. Is my IQ okay? More than okay. What is it? 
That I'm not going to tell you, but it assures me that both you and Charles Wallace will be able to do pretty much whatever you like when you grow up to yourselves. You just wait till Charles Wallace starts talking. You'll see how right he had been about that. Though he himself had left before Charles Wallace began to speak. Suddenly, with none of the usual baby preliminaries, using the entire sentences, how proud he would have been. You'd better check the milk, Charles Wallace said to Meg now, his diction clearer and cleaner than that of most five-year-olds. You know you don't like it when it gets the skin on top. You put more than twice enough milk, Meg peered in a saucepan. Charles Wallace nodded sincerely. I thought mother might like some. I might like what, a voice said, and there was their mother standing in the doorway. Coco, Charles Wallace said, would you like a liverwurst and cream cheese sandwich? I'll be happy to make you one. That would be lovely, Miss Murray said, but I can make my it myself if you're busy. No trouble at all. Charles Wallace slid down from his chair and trotted over to the refrigerator. His pajama feet padding softly as a kitten's. How about you, Meg? He asked. Sandwich? Yes, please, she said, but not liverwurst. Do we have any tomatoes? Charles Wallace peered in the crisper. One. All right, if I use it on Meg, mother. To what better use could it be put? Miss Murray said. But not so loud, please, Charles. That is, unless you want the twins downstairs, too. Let's be exclusive, Charles Wallace said. That's my new word for the day. Impressive, isn't it? Prodigious, Miss Murray said. Meg, come let me look at that bruise. Meg knelt at her mother's feet. The warmth of light in the kitchen had relaxed her so that the attic fears were gone. The cocoa steamed fragrantly in the soft pan. Graham's bloomed on the windowsills. And there was a bouquet of tiny yellow chrysanthemums in the center of the table. The curtains, red with a blue and green geometrical pattern, were drawn and seemed to reflect their cheerfulness throughout the room. The 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 furnace purred like a great sleepy animal. The lights glowed with steady radiance radiance outside alone in the dark the wind still battered against the house but the angry powerful that had frightened meg while she was alone in the attic was subdued by the familiar comfort of the kitchen underneath miss murray's chair fordham fordham ross let out a contented contented sigh miss murray gently touched meg's bruised cheek meg looked up at her mother half in a loving minute admiration half in sullen resentment it was not an advantage to have a mother who was a scientist and a beauty as well miss murray's flaming red hair creamy skin and violet eyes with long dark lashes seemed even more spectacular in comparison with meg's outrageous plainness meg's hair had been passable as long as she wore it tidily in braids when she went into high school it was cut and now she and her mother struggled with putting it up, but one side would come out curly and the other straight, so that this she looked even more plainer than before. You don't know the meaning of moderation, do you, my darling? 
Miss Murray asked. A happy medium is something I wonder if you'll ever learn. That's a nasty bruise the Henderson boy gave you. By the way, shortly after you'd gone to bed, his mother called up to complain about how badly you hurt him. I told her that since he's a year older and at least 25 pounds heavier than you are, I thought I was the one who ought to be doing the complaining, but she seemed to think it was all your fault. I suppose that depends on how you look at it, Meg said. Usually, no matter what happens, people think it's my fault, even if I have nothing to do with it at all. But I'm sorry I tried to fight him. It's just been an awful week and I'm full of bad feeling. Miss Murray stroked Meg's shaggy head. Do you know why? I hate being an oddball, Meg said. It's hard on Sandy and Denise, too. I don't know if they're really like everyone else, but they're just able to pretend they are. I try to pretend, but it isn't any help. You're so much... You're much too straightforward to be able to pretend to be what you aren't, Miss Murray said. I'm sorry, Meglet. Maybe if your father were here, he could help you, but I don't think I can do anything anything till I manage to plow through some more time. Then things will be easier for you, but that isn't much help right now, is it? Maybe if we weren't so repulsive looking, maybe I were pretty like you. Mother's not a bit pretty. She's beautiful, Charles Wallace announced, slicing liverwurst. Therefore, I bet she was an awful at your age. How right you are, Miss Murray said. Just give yourself time, Meg. Lettuce on your sandwich, Mother? Charles Wallace asked. No, thanks. He cut the sandwich into sections, put it on a plate, and set it in front of his mother. Yours be along in just a minute, Meg. I think I'll talk to Mrs. Whatsit about you. Who's Miss Whatsit? Meg asked. I think I want to be exclusive about her for a while, Charles Wallace said. Onion salt? Yes, please. What's Miss Whatsit stand for? Miss Murray asked. That's her name, Charles Wallace answered. You know, the old shingly house in the back of the woods that kids won't go near because they say it's haunted? That's where they live, they. Miss Whatsit and her two friends. I was out with Fort Bronis, Fort Bross a couple of days ago, and you and the twins were at school, Meg. We liked to walk in the woods, and suddenly he took off after Squirrel, and I took off after him, and we ended up at the haunted house. So I met them by accident, as you might say. But nobody lives there, Meg said. Miss Watson and her friends do. They're very enjoyable. Why didn't you tell me about it before, Mrs. Murray asked. And you know you're not supposed to go off our property without permission, Charles. I know, Charles said. That's one reason I didn't tell you. I just rushed off after Fort Russ without thinking. And then I decided, well, I'd better save them for an emergency anyhow. A fresh gust of wind took the house and shook it, and suddenly the rain began to lash against the windows. I don't think I like this wind, Meg said nervously. We'll lose some shingles off the roof, that's certain. Miss Murray said, but this house has stood for almost 200 years, and I think it'll last a little longer, Meg. There's been many a high wind up this hill. But this is a hurricane, Meg wailed. The radio keeps... Saying it was a hurricane. It's October, Miss Murray told her. There have been storms in October before. As Charles Wallace gave Meg her sandwich, Fort Bross came out from under the table. He gave a long, low growl, and they could see the dark fur slowly rising on his back. Meg felt her own skin prickle. What's wrong? she asked anxiously. Fort Bross stared at the door that opened 
in Miss Morris have laboratory which was in the old stone dairy right off the kitchen beyond the lab a pantry led out doors through miss murray had done her best to train the family to come into the house through the garage door or the front door not through her lab but it was the lab door and not the garage door towards which fort brass was growling you didn't leave any nasty smelling chemicals cooking in a bunsen burner did you mother charles wallace asked miss murray stood up no but i think i'd better go see what's upsetting fort anyhow it's a tramp i'm sure it's a tramp meg said nervously what tramp charles wallace asked they were saying at the post office this afternoon that a tramp stole all miss buncombe's sheets we'd better sit on the pillowcases then miss murray said lightly i don't even think a tramp would be out on a night like this meg but that's probably why he is out, Meg wailed, trying to find a place not to be out. In which case, I'll offer him the barn till morning. Miss Murray went briskly to the door. I'll go with you, Meg's voice was shrill. No, Meg, you stay with Charles and eat your sandwich. Eat, Meg exclaimed as Miss Murray went out. Eat, Meg explained as Miss Murray went out through the lab. How does she expect me to eat? Mother can take care of herself charles said physically that is but he sat in father's chair at the table and his legs kicked at the rungs and charles wallace unlike miss small children had the ability to sit still after a few moments that seemed like forever to meg miss murray came back and holding the door open for was it the tramp it seemed small for Meg's idea of a tramp. The age or gender was impossible to tell, for it was completely bundled up in clothes. Several scarves of a, assorted colors were tied about the head, and the man's hat had felt hat perched atop. A shocking pink stole was knotted about a rough overcoat, and the black rubber boots covered his feet. Miss Watson, Charles said suspiciously. What are you doing here at this time of night, too? Don't you be worried, my honey, a voice emerged from the among turned-up coat collar stole scarves and a hat. A voice like unnoiled gate, but somehow it was not unpleasant. Miss, uh, what's it? Says she lost her way, Miss Murray said. Would you care for some hot cocoa, Miss Watsit? Charmed, I'm sure, said Miss Watsit, answered, taking off the hat and the stole. It isn't so much that I lost my way as I got blown off course, and when I realized that I was at little Charles Wallace's house, I thought I'd come in and rest a bit before proceeding on my way. How do you know this was Charles Wallace's house, Meg asked. By the smell, Miss Watsit untied a blue and green paisley scarf, a red and yellow flowered print, a gold liberty print, a red and black bandana. Under all of this sparsely quantity of grayish hair was tied in a small but tidy knot on top of her head. Her eyes were bright, her nose was round, soft blob, her mouth puckered like an autumn apple. My, but it's lovely and warm in here, she said. Do sit down, Miss Murray indicated a chair. Would you like a sandwich, Miss Watsit? I have liverwurst and cream cheese. Charles has a bread and jam and make lettuce and tomato. Now, let me see, Miss Watsit pondered. I'm passionately fond of Russian caviar. You peaked, Charles cried, and we're saving that for Mother's birthday, and you can't have any. 
Miss Wetsit gave a deep and pathetic sigh. No, Charles said. Now you mustn't give in to her, mother, or I shall be very angry. How about a tuna fish salad? All right, Miss Wetsit said meekly. I'll fix it, Meg offered, going to the pantry for a can of tuna fish. For crying out loud, she thought. This old woman comes barging in on us in the middle of the night, and mother takes it as though there weren't anything peculiar about it at all. I bet she is the tramp. I'll bet she did steal those sheets, and she's certainly not one person Charles Wallace ought to be friends with, especially when he won't talk to ordinary people. I've only been in the neighborhood a short time, Miss Watson was saying as Meg switched off the pantry light and came back into the kitchen with tuna fish, and I didn't think I was going to like the neighborhood at all until dear little Charles came over with his dog. Miss Watson, Charles Wallace demanded severely, why did you take Miss Bumcombe's sheets? Well, I needed them, Charles, dear. You must return them at once. But, Charles, dear, I can't. I've used them. It was very wrong of you, Charles Wallace scolded. If you need sheets badly, you should have asked me. Miss Watch shook her head and chucked, clucked. You can't spare any sheets, Miss Bumcombe can. Meg cut up some celery and mixed it in with the tuna. After a moment's hesitation, she opened the fridge and door and brought out the little jar of sweet pickles. Though why I'm doing it for her, I don't know, she thought as she cut them up. I don't trust her one bit. Tell your sister I'm all right, Miss Watson said to Charles. Tell her my intentions are good. The road to hell is paved with good intentions, Charles enotioned. My, but isn't he cunning, Miss Watson beamed at him fondly. It's lucky he has someone to understand him. But I'm afraid he doesn't, Miss Murray said. None of us is quite up to Charles. But at least you weren't trying to squash him down. Miss Watson nodded her head viscerously. You letting him be himself. Here's your sandwich, Meg said, bringing it to Mrs. Watson. Do you mind if I take off my boots before I eat, Miss Watson said, picking up the sandwich nevertheless? Listen. She moved her feet up down in her boots, and they could hear water squelching. My toes are ever so damp. The trouble is that these boots are might tight for me. I can never take them off by myself. I'll help you, Charles offered. Not you. You're not strong enough. I'll help Miss Murray squatted at Miss Watson's feet, yanking on one of the slick boots. When the boot came off, it came suddenly. Miss Murray sat down with a thump. Miss Watson went tumbling backwards with the chair onto the floor sandwich held high and one old claw water poured out of the boot and ran over the floor and on the big braided rug oh dearie me miss Watson said lying on her back in the overturned chair her feet in the air and one in a red and white striped sock the other still booted miss murray got to her feet are you all right miss Watson? if you have some liniment i'll put it on my dignity miss Watson said still sp- Sippin'. I think it's sprained. A little oil of cloves mixed well with garlic is rather good, she, as she took a large bite of sandwich. Do please get up, Charles said. I don't like to see you lying there that way. You're carrying things too far. Have you ever tried to get your feet without sprained dignity? But Mrs. Watson scrambled up, right, righted the chair, and then sat back down on the floor. The booted foot stuck in front of her and took another bite she moved with great agility for such an old woman at least meg was 
couple reasonably sure that she was an old woman and with a very old woman at that. Miss Watson, her mouth full, ordered Mrs. Murray. Now, pull while I'm already down, quietly, quite calmly, as though this woman in her boots were nothing out of the ordinary, Miss Murray pulled and until the second boot relinquished the foot. The foot was covered with blue and gray argle sock, and Mrs. Watson sat still and Mrs. Watson sat there, wriggling her toes, contently finishing her sandwich before scrambling to her feet. Ah, she said, that's ever so better, and took both boots and shook them out over the sink. My stomach is full and I'm warm inside and out, and it's time I went home. Don't you think you'd better stay till morning? asked Miss Murray. Oh, thank you, dearie, but there's so much that I can... But there's so much to do, I just can't waste time sitting around frivoling. It's much too wild a night to travel in. Wild nights are my glory, Miss Watson said. I just got caught in a downdraft blown off course. Well, at least till your socks are dry. Wet socks don't bother me. I just didn't like the water squishing around in my boots. Now don't worry about me, Lamb. Lamb was not one word. Lamb was not a word one would ordinarily think of calling Miss Murray. I shall just sit down for a moment and pop on my boots and then I'll be on my way. Speaking of ways, pet, by the way, there is such a thing as a tesseract. Miss Murray went very white and with one hand reached backwards and clutched at a chair for support. Her voice trembled. What did you say? Miss Watson tugged at her second boot. I said, she grunted, shoving her foot down in, that there is, shove, still such a thing, shove, as a tesseract. Her foot went into the boot and grabbing shawls and scarves and a hat, she hustled out the door. Miss Murray stayed very still, making no move to help the old woman. As the door opened, Fort Brown streaked in, painting wet and shiny as a seal. He looked at Miss Murray and whined. The door slammed. Mother, what's the matter, May cried. What did she say? What is that? The Tesseract, Miss Murray whispered. What does she mean? How could she have known? And that is where we will end today. And... In the next podcast, we will read Chapter 2, Mrs. Who. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time.